Welcome to Happy Hour with Julie and Liz. So Liz. Yes. You know, we always try to start Happy Hour with happy news. Okay. But we have to start today's podcast with a warning because (laughs) there is a dangerous word going around and I don't want to jeopardize our, our personal security or certainly get bounced off of social media for using the word. Okay. I'm ready. I'm ready. So I'm afraid to say the word, but it does have an acronym. Should I get a button ready to like hit delete, right? Like, you know what I mean? Like, like one of those like drop buttons or something they use on TV in case someone uses one of the bad words. I'm ready, Julie. So go ahead. Do we have a six second delay here (laughs) on happy hour podcast? Let me turn it on. So So the word now I'm going to mess up saying it. Should I just use the acronym? No, I think you should say it. Okay. Now be prepared to beep. The okay. word the word is hydrochloroquine. <gasps> oh my gosh. I know. I need a second. Don't tell I Jack Dorsey. Said it. <laughs> I can't believe it. I'm I'm dizzy. I have the vapors. Hold on a minute. Hold on a minute. Is that that poison that will kill you? Is it that? Well, according to trusted doctors like <laughs> Anthony Fauci and Scott Gottlieb, who have no personal or financial interest in stoking this panic at all, um, it it doesn't work. It will immediately kill you. Um, and it should, immediately. Be, it should be banned not only from pharmacies, but from your Facebook page. Or for because even that's where saying it, right? Like even to speak it. It's like the Voldemort, right? It's like you can't even say it. It's that serious. So explain to our listener what happened this week with uh, a hydrochloroquine and the takedown of doctors who were promoting it. And just people like the president's son who tweeted about it. Why don't you just tell our listener what happened? Okay. So a group of doctors held a press conference and then also live streamed a, I think, five or six hour long scientific discussion about the dreaded hydroxychloroquine, um, also known as H, HCQ or HQC, one of those. H- I know. I messed it up on Twitter the other day. H- yeah. HCQ. HCQ. Mm-hmm. And so they held a press conference. Um These were doctors who were actual medical practitioners. They, that means that they see patients um, one-to-one. They are not in labs or offices or perhaps government buildings. They are engaged with actual human beings and they held a press conference to talk about their success using this wicked, wicked medication or poison, depending on who you are to, to treat people early on with the virus, the Chinese virus. And so this was live streamed. Wow. Um, you're really going to get us double man. I know we're never going to see the light of day. <sighs> no. um, you're, no one's going to listen to this because we're going to be wiped up, wiped, we're be like snuffed out. So <clears throat> this was live streamed. You could watch it on Facebook. It was posted on Twitter. It was fo- posted on Facebook and 
all of the big tech bros wiped it out. They memory hold it. You could not find it anywhere. It was pulled off of YouTube. It was pulled off of Facebook. I think it had something like 25 million views, um, the initial press conference, before it was yanked off. So it was yanked off there. Um, The president's tweet was deleted that retweeted some of the video. Don Jr. was deleted and then also put in a penalty box. And I think other people, who knows how many other people got spanked by the Twitter overlords for promoting this video. And um, so, yes. Now, why? Right. Like, why would Mm -hmm. they do this? Are the people at Facebook, Twitter, YouTube? Oh, also Madonna. Did you hear about this? Madonna put it on Instagram and got wiped off of Instagram. Madonna, wow. like as in lucky star, like a virgin Madonna. And she she got spanked. So the question is, why would non-medical professionals, and I'm, I'm including Fox News host Neil Cavuto, who mm-hmm. also seems to think he has some kind of medical authority, um, be in a position to decide you can't hear what these doctors say. And again, these are doctors. They see patients. These aren't lab workers. They're not government bureaucrats. They're not people with um, strange kickbacks from pharmaceutical companies. They're actual doctors who care about their patients. They have relationships with the human patients that have this virus. So that was kind of a big deal. Um, And fortunately or unfortunately for people who have to follow this stuff for their occupation, there was a very lengthy hearing in Congress uh, yesterday with these titans of censorship, uh, Google, Sundar Pinshaw, something like, I think that's his name, Um, Mark Mark Zuckerberg of Facebook and, and Instagram. Because Instagram is owned by Facebook, um, by um, the Sundar Pinchai is um, Google, which also owns YouTube, and then Tim Cook of Apple, and then, of course, the most evil of all, Washington Post owner and Amazon owner, Jeff Bezos. So um, because the idiots that are Republicans on this committee are like 600 years old. They are not able to speak coherently about technology because they can barely tie their shoes and eat their applesauce. So it is kind of comic. So representative Sensenbrenner, who is I think 150, he will not be running for reelection. Thank God. I Mm -hmm. think he's a Wisconsin Congressman Mm -hmm. asked Mark Zuckerberg about why president Trump was, deleted from Twitter because he doesn't know the difference between Facebook and Twitter. (laughs) He did know this happened. Um, But in a way it didn't matter because the video was also um, removed from Facebook as well. And what Mark Zuckerberg said was that they, and I think of all of them, Zuckerberg is the least one to cave into the the mob. And I'll get into that in a minute. He's still a jerk. He's still a shit bag. But Mm -hmm. he's a little bit he's been resisting the mob. And so he was 
basically has said before and has said at other times in this hearing that, you know, he doesn't think it's Facebook's job to police like what's true and what's not true that people post on Facebook. But in the case of the hydroxychloroquine, he they feel like that is putting people in imminent danger. Right. This video of licensed doctors who treat patients that they're opinions and conclusions were putting people in imminent danger in which case I respond to that. Well, you cannot go to seven 11 and buy hydroxychloroquine and just start swallowing it um, by the handful because you need a doctor to prescribe it. So what, what kind of imminent danger are you in? You can't, you can't go get it without a doctor. So that's just a filthy lie. Well, and you brought up a good point on Twitter yesterday, which is think of all the insane cures that are routinely posted on Facebook or pop up on some Google ad site that, you know, like you said, promise, you know, take this magical pill and shrink your belly fat in six days. Yeah, this one, Julie, didn't you read about that, this one trick? that will get rid of your belly fat or there's magic lotions that will get rid of For wrinkles, wrinkles, mm-hmm. cellulite, but then also go on to YouTube and look at how many quacks there are talking about all kinds of crazy shit. Um, I'm not I mean, if you post a Dr. Oz video, like how is yeah. that guy even around? Like he should not be allowed talking about, Oh, how veganism is so good for you. And you know, people are always talking about, tricks and cures and you know I have this disease and this is what I do they don't take those videos down so I I mean I think we all know the real reason they took it down is because they do not want a popular uprising against the tyranny of the FDA and the CDC Um, they don't want people to know that there may be a way to treat this virus where um lives are saved. We don't have as many casualties piling up and which means we can start to live our lives again. And they do not want that. They want to keep people locked down. Well, and they also want, and this goes back to your other favorite person and mine, Scott Gottlieb, who was on his, uh, his daily appearance on CNBC (laughs) to continue his grift uh, profiting <laughs> off of this crisis. And he said it doesn't work. Hydrochloroquine does not work. Now, there are scientific studies and there's anecdotal evidence that what Scott Gottlieb said is a lie. So part of the fueling of the refusal to find any kind of cure, you're telling me we have no cure for this. It's impossible to believe. Or some, not really cure, but something to get you through the worst parts of the illness through the hump and make sure that you survive. It's not technically a cure. It's mitigation to make sure that you live. But at the very least, it isn't really harmful. Okay. So there's no harm really in giving it to people. Well, there is a harm, Liz. Well, you're you're wrong. (laughs) (laughs) And you know what the harm is. The harm is if you have some kind of a cure, you don't need a vaccine. And I mean, you and I have talked about this. We're not anti-vaxxers in any 
stretch. I mean, I vaccinated my kids. I've been vaccinated. We don't do the flu vaccine. I just, we don't need to, so we don't do it. Um, and I have some reservations about that too. But if there's something that will help people deal with this illness when they have it, you don't necessarily need a, not just, we're not talking about one vaccine either. We're talking about, as Scott Aleve said, a seasonal vaccine, which again puts it on the same level as a flu. And what's going to come next is that this vaccine that's going to work this year, like the flu viruses, will not necessarily be the same vaccine that you need next year. And you might need one dose or you might need two. If you're older, you might need three. Who's going to pay for three vaccinations well, if you're 75 years old? The government is. That's right. where the money's coming from. I mean, I was talking to my mom. who's I love her, but she she's a kind of a pod person. And she was like, well, the vaccine's going to be free. And I'm like, oh, no, no. The federal government is going to buy that vaccine from Pfizer or whatever outfit produces a vaccine. There's m millions, tens of millions, billions of dollars tied up in this. So this is one reason why we don't want another option that costs nine cents a pill out there to sort of take the edge off or as a prophylaxis to, you know, pre a preventative. So it's just really disgusting. Um, and but let's, let's take a minute to remind our listener that uh, Scott Gottlieb is on the board of Pfizer in addition to several other healthcare companies. Pfizer just won what I seems to be a no-bid contract, nearly $2 billion, <laughs> thanks to Operation Warp Speed. Uh, $2 billion to deliver for free 100 doses of 100 million doses of the uh, COVID-19 vaccine for free. We paid $2 billion, but it's still free. But yet, Liz, not one reporter has confronted Gottlieb on CNBC, the Sunday morning shows where he's also very popular. You know, he's got this <laughs> picturesque. Suddenly, the FDA commissioner, who's just a regular physician. It's his lake house, I guess. He's got like this $5 million yeah. state in Connecticut. In Connecticut, yeah. And, you know, he keeps going from like his lush backyard to like his, you know, decked out study to, you know, his wine cellar. Oh, His billiard up. room. No, I mean, I'm exaggerating, but I mean. Not really. Know. But so he, it was a matter of weeks before he left his post as FDA commissioner and went directly to the boards Pfizer. of this major yeah. healthcare. Now, I'm all for people making money. That's fine. But this is so twisted. And the fact that not one reporter, journalist, including the Wall Street Journal uh, opinion uh, board, editorial board, who just ran another editorial of his this week, never mentioned, had any kind of disclaimer that he's on the board of Pfizer that Pfizer just got a $2 billion no-bid contract from the U.S. government, and that Pfizer stock has gone up, what, 5% since then? Never mentioned. This is part of why people are so suspicious of this whole crisis. Who's profiting? Jeff Bezos is one. I mean, obviously, everyone ha still is relying on Amazon. They're afraid to go to the store or don't want to go to the store, so Amazon is, like, through the roof. 
So there's legitimate questions about who's profiting off of this. Well, and it's important for people to take a step back, too, and look at the bigger picture on this. It's not like what Gottlieb Gottlieb is doing is out of the ordinary. It's business as usual for the revolving door between the FDA, the CDC, and the pharmaceutical industry. Mm -hmm. So it's very it's an unholy alliance and it shouldn't be because really the FDA and the CDC need to ha- are supposed to regulate the pharmaceutical industry but if you're always lobbying for like your job when you leave the government you know for your you know $500,000 a year plus signing bonus entry level position at the pharmaceutical industry how <laughs> can you possibly regulate them right. so that's the thing and you know, this paradigm is also at the EPA and Greenpeace and these environmental groups where, you know, it's a revolving door. You know, you're at the Sierra Club and then the next year you're you're doing something at the EPA and then you go back out to one of these interest groups at a higher level. Then you go back into the government at an even higher level. It's it's it it's a it's a it's a it's a gimmick. And so or not a gimmick. It's it's a business model. So. Right. Yeah, so we are very suspicious of um, what I call Operation Gottlieb Wallet. You call it, you <laughs> called it Warp Speed. I call it Gottlieb Wallet. But I mean, it it is very suspicious. And also, here's what really I think illustrates our point and my skepticism and your skepticism is the passion and fire with which there's this just waterfall of hate against this generic drug that's been on the market for 60 years and used to be considered quite safe and was very frequently prescribed. It's just like all of the sudden the wrath of hell has come against this drug. And you have to wonder why there it's Mm -hmm. just, you know, it's not for public safety. Because again, we see people on the news who are not medical professionals. Um, remember, we talked about this a couple of weeks ago. I, I literally just lost my mind when I heard Neil Cavuto say that it would kill you when it okay. literally will not kill you. Okay. <clears throat> it will not kill you. And all of these people who cited a study in Lancet saying that it was dangerous for patients, for heart, for cardiac conditions and didn't help. Nobody also mentioned later when it was retracted and found out to be mm-hmm. just a wholesale fraud. Right. So, yeah, so this is, this is just crazy and it's very disturbing the way in which the tech companies fall in line to back up this narrative that they need to control people. Well, because they are pals with China. That's what China does. And so they're just taking their cue from China. They want to control people, control the information flow. Um, And so maybe this would be a good time to insert one of the most interesting clips from uh, Thursday, excuse me, Wednesday's hearing um, with the tech titans, as you, I guess they like to be called, the head honchos, the rulers of our universe, um, when they were directly asked by Florida congressmen um, whether they were aware or acknowledged the fact, the proven fact, well-known documented fact for years that China steals American intellectual property. And there were some very interesting, I wouldn't even call answers, uh, evasive responses from these super duper smart, well-informed 
Masters of the Universe, if we want to put that little clip in. I now recognize the gentleman from Florida, Mr. Stubbe. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. I have a question for all four, uh, yes or no answer. Do you believe that the Chinese government steals technology from U.S. companies? Start with Mr. Cook. I don't know of specific cases where we uh, have been stolen from uh, by the government. So you don't believe that the Chinese government's stealing technology from U.S. companies? Or are you just saying that not from yours? I'm saying uh, I, I know of no case on um, ours where it occurred, which is I can only speak to firsthand knowledge. Mr. Pichai, do you believe that the Chinese government steals technology from United States companies? I have no first-hand knowledge of uh, any information stolen from Google. Mr. Zuckerberg? Uh, Congressman, I think it's well documented that the Chinese government steals technology from American companies. Thank you. Mr. Bezos? I have heard many reports of that, and I, I haven't seen it personally, but I've heard many reports of it. So of all the different products that Amazon carries, you haven't seen that in any of the, the companies that sell products on Amazon or your company yourself? Oh, well, certainly there are uh, knockoff products, if that's what you mean. And there are counterfeit products and all of that. But the Chinese, uh, if the answer is the Chinese government stealing technology, that's the thing I've read reports of uh, and, and but don't have uh, personal experience with. Wasn't that lovely? Right. So... There you go. That's why another reason that Trump's I don't know efforts- nothing about no stealing. Nothing. <laughs> That's why these people have worked so hard against Trump's efforts to make China accountable. And that's why they hate calling it the China flu or Wuhan flu. Um, and that's why another reason they want him out because they're confronting this huge market, powerful market, their pals in China. Um, and so that was pretty illuminating. There was another really great moment in the hearing. Um, I think it was, it may have been the same um, congressman or Jim Jordan, one of the good ones that um, called out Google, who a couple, like a year ago maybe, they notoriously refused to take like a multi-billion dollar contract from the Pentagon because the little precious flowers and snowflakes at Google couldn't see themselves working for such a demonic outfit as the Pentagon, but were more than happy to create a easily censored search engine for the Chinese government. And they were asked, um, well, what sort of ethics and morals do you find that China has, you know, with their Uyghur prisons and organ stealing and, um, you know, uh, censorship and oppression, but that the U.S. doesn't have, you know, like why China, but not the U.S.? What was that line? Um, it was a quite interesting exchange. Um, well, speaking of hearings, maybe we should, because we have so much news this week, let's move along to... The most infuriating hearing of the week, which was the House Judiciary Committee's uh, attack, assault on Attorney General Bill Barr. So that was Tuesday's hearing where the dark soul, if 
<laughs> there is one that exists of the Democratic Party was on full display for every American to see just how wretched, twisted these barbarians actually are. And what they did to Bill Barr, who kept his composure 95% of the time when most people would have either walked out or, you know, started throwing punches at some of these people. So you and I watched that. And, you know, the takeaway is that the Democratic Party is filled with subversives who hate this country. I would say are racist against white people because I think that was fueling a lot of the attacks, especially from these unhinged women who sit on the House Judiciary Committee, um, would not let him speak, interrupted him, threatened him, said they were losing their temper, uh, you know, he should be thrown out of office, et cetera, et cetera, fixated on the Roger Stone case, which most Americans don't know anything about or could care less about. As the country's burning down, thanks to Antifa, who are just protesters, peaceful protesters, by the way. Um, Civil rights. Civil rights, man. They want Roger Stone thrown in the slammer in solitary confinement until he dies. But the peaceful protesters who are destroying federal property, attacking police officers, uh, et cetera, um, are, are the real heroes. Yeah, um, that was really interesting. And I I just want to remind our listeners, let's not forget what this hearing was supposed to be. It was supposed to be a year earlier and they had gotten Barr to schedule time. It was they he was scheduled to appear before um, <clears throat> for you know judicial oversight of the AG. And at the last minute, they decided for the first time, I think, in American history, that they would not be questioning Barr, but they would have special lawyers come in to do the questioning of Barr. And Barr was like, no. And then they had a big spectacle. Remember that? Where they had a chicken sitting in his seat. They knew he wasn't coming, but they pretended and they set this whole thing up like they were already in the room and there was going to be an empty seat. And that Representative Cohen from Memphis um, was eating chicken. And oh, then, God, right. Remember right. that? Yes. That was the original hearing that they wanted for Barr was that. And then Barr was like, piss off. And then now they agreed to have him. It was put off again because of, you know, the deadly China virus. And so they finally agreed to um, and scheduled this hearing yesterday. And there's so many different things that are going on right now in America I watched it because I also wanted to hear what the AG had to say because we call it a hearing because we're supposed to hear and the person we're hearing is the witness. It's not the inquisitors, right? So I think that no, I think no, you don't. Do I have it backwards? <laughs> wrong again, Liz. You're really not on your game. I'm over two. I'm over two. <laughs> So the hearing is so they can reclaim their time, as we heard repeatedly, to spout off their just that was contempt. So, it was so crazy because mm-hmm. their plan was that they would not let Barr speak. And that's because Barr is actually quite brilliant. He's mm-hmm. very eloquent. He's smart. He's very smart. And he's very low key. 
Well, right. He's super calm and they don't want anybody to hear an explanation or anything that counters the propaganda that they've had shoved up their ass for the last years, especially in the last months with these riots that these riots, I guess, that they're denying exist. They do not want Barr to be able to make any kind of reasonable argument or offer an explanation. And so every time they would go on like this two minutes of hate question, I'm using air quotes, question. And then Barr would start to talk and they would immediately cut him off and say they're reclaiming his time and they wouldn't let him talk. And so the way that the questioning goes in these hearings is that you get a Democrat ask a question, Democrats control the House, they're the chair of the committee, there's more Democrats on all the committees than Republicans because there's more Democrats in the House. So you'd have a Democrat ask a question and they wouldn't let Barr answer. And then the Republican, it was the Republican's turn. And so the Republican would let Barr try and address what the Democrat said. But at the same time, that prevented the Republican from asking Barr what they wanted to ask. It was, you know, it was kind of in theory a clever strategy, but in practice, I just thought they looked like idiots. And the the, the highlight was when Jerry Nadler, oh. who allegedly was in some car accident, apparently he was in two car accidents on uh, Tuesday. So the hearing was already delayed by an hour. Uh, Bill Barr, who's in his 70s, uh, you know, sat there. Finally, he had to wait an hour and then the hearing went on for what, another five hours? Yeah, five or six hours. So towards the end, Bill Barr asks for a five minute break. You know, who knows? He probably has to go potty or something. And Jerry Nather says no. Yeah, that was really nice. And then Barr starts laughing. And says, oh, you're a real class act. And then, no, when he finally said yes, he goes, oh, yes. Like, I think he didn't <laughs> realize how bad it, like, he was probably, like, wound up to just say no to everything because that's, like, their script. But then when Barr just kind of looked, he kind of looked, like, taken aback. Like, are you ser- seriously? I mean, this is, a. first of all, it's, even though these hearings, they are partisan and they get they get hostile, no matter who is, you know, the majority. I don't think I've ever seen a hearing where they simply won't let the witness talk at all. <clears throat> but I certainly have never heard of someone denying another human being the opportunity to take a break to pee. I mean, that's like, that is like, yeah. I mean, if the ACLU would sue over something like that happening in a jail or whatever, you know, where you don't let a, someone pee. And so it was su- such a shock. And then finally, Nadler was like, well, we're almost done. And then Jim Jordan was fighting for for Barr's bladder and was like, you're not going to let <laughs> let like, the man pee, let him let him go. And and Jordan was like, that's a courtesy. And then finally, um, uh, Nadler was like, oh, yeah, OK. And then Barr started laughing. And he said, you're a real class act because it was just like. Really? Yeah, I don't think that went over well for the Democrats, even my husband, who is a Democrat ish. Um, but he was aware of it and usually doesn't pay too much attention to the goings on of Washington. Lucky for him. He just has to hear it from me. Um, he commented on it Wednesday morning and he was like, they all look terrible. What you happened? Know, it's like they keep talking about it. <clears throat> these are critical issues. Um, the, the life of the Republic hangs in the balance and then they won't let the guy talk. 
it's like he's the guy with all the information. Well, and And, what is this all a ruse for? And he pointed it out in his opening statement, which unfortunately he cut because his time was cut down. Well, I mean, they want to discredit him because they're terrified of the Durham report. And they've been trying to, they've been making accusations that they're going to impeach him. So this is all part of the effort to discredit Barr and make it out to be that he's simply a Trump toady and everything he does is tainted by that. And so that people don't take anything that comes out of the DOJ seriously. And I think there was, right. And there, a congressman, a congresswoman specifically asked him not to commit, excuse me, asked him to commit to not release anything from John Durham, whether it's a report, but I, they're looking more at indictments, I believe, or any indictments and no work would come out of the John Durham investigation based on the 60 day rule. Ha 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 of the justice department, not getting involved in anything before a major uh, election, which we know doesn't happen. And he said, no, um, yeah, I thought she was going to faint. The flip side is though the, even the request to make sure that John Durham That is election interference. But that's ballsy. That's like, okay, that's ballsy for them to come straight out and say that, you know, like for her to, it's like your slip is showing lady, you know, to say we, and they're obviously very worried about it or wouldn't even come up. You know, if they, if they thought their hands were clean, you know, contrast that with the way Trump was about the Mueller investigation, where he kept saying, I'm cooperating, I'm doing everything, there's nothing there. And he kept saying, there's nothing there, there's nothing there. Let it out, let it out, you know, and had people cooperate. And here, they're like, promise me you won't release the Durham report before the election. So it's kind of like, okay, so you're pretty worried. (laughs) So... And never mind, too, that the Mueller investigation, of course, was also election interference in 2018. Rasmussen retweeted a poll from right before the election, the midterms, that, of course, the Democrats flipped the House, that a quarter of voters were concerned about Trump's ties to Russia and Russia collusion. It it was even ranked higher than the economy. And so that was straight up election interference. Obviously, what happened in 2016 was election interference. But now we're supposed to prevent John Durham, the U.S. attorney in Connecticut, who's been investigating for far too long, in my opinion, uh, the origins of the Russia investigation. And most specifically, the time period between Election Day and Inauguration Day, when we know that the that President Obama and Joe Biden were intimately involved in what was happening and creating this whole false narrative about uh, collusion and how the Kremlin helped Trump Trump win the election. So looking into that one little bit of news, apparently it had been already disclosed in May, but I missed that, um, is that uh, Barr has appointed a U.S. attorney in Texas, John Bash, to specifically investigate all of the unmasking requests of Mike Flynn which we know thanks to release of uh, classified documents uh, by the, uh, I believe it was Grinnell at the time, director of national intelligence, all the unmasking requests, including Joe Biden, including Dennis McDonough, Obama's chief of staff, looking to unmask classified uh, or Mike Flynn's name in classified reports. Jamie Raskin's wife. Did you you see Jim Jordan? Did you see that part? Jim Jordan called out Jamie Raskin, who's just a vile nasty 
person. Um, His wife works for Treasury. She unmasked Mike Flynn. Uh, One thing notable about that, and I remember, but then forgot because there's literally 10,000 pieces of information coming at me every single day, Mm -hmm. um, that they're not just investigating the election-related unmasking. Apparently, there had been unmasking abuse for quite a while, and that's what Barr said. He said it went back for even further than that. That's something he said in the hearing yesterday. So that's going to be interesting. Um, There's more news, um, Liz, that came out today. So this is Thursday for our podcast will be up on Friday. Um, John Solomon reporting that there's more letters. I know we make fun of the letters, but there are more God letters. There's more letters. Okay, yes. good. You know, nothing like waiting four months before you're going to lose your position of power to start doing things that you should have two years ago, maybe three. Um, so Ron Johnson, uh, the Senator from Wisconsin, who's chairman, I'm sorry, Wisconsin. That's how we say it here in the Midwest, <laughs> Wisconsin, chairman of the Senate Homeland Security Committee and Chuck Grassley, who is uh, Senate finance chairman are sending letters now trying to expose John Kerry, Barack Obama's State Department role, involvement in the production of the dossier, the distribution of the dossier. Um, And so they are asking for it specifically, too, about Strobe Talbot's role, who uh, the Clinton BFF and then head of Brookings Institution, which has been in the news too the past uh, few weeks, their role. So anyway, they've sent letters looking for to declassify any correspondence at the State Department between Steele and top State Department officials, well, we already know Victoria Newland and some others, Jonathan Weiner, who, according to Glenn Simpson's book, they are neighbors and talked pretty regularly about Glenn Simpson's work on behalf of the Democrats. That's a coincidence. Wow. Liz, don't be so cynical. I know they just I am. hang out and, you know, smoke cigars and flip burgers together. They don't talk about how to infiltrate the Trump campaign and use or the subvert powers of democracy the or anything. They don't talk about that. Nothing, nothing at all. Uh, so anyway, that was just news that came across uh, this morning. So we'll see what happens with that. Um, and there was more declassi- declassified documents coming this week. So it's nice to see the production of that. The flip side is it's very frustrating. Peter Strzok announced this week he has a book coming out. John Brennan's book is coming out. Jim Comey has yet another book Ugh. coming out. So what they can- did we do to deserve this? I feel like Job, you know, <laughs> like, oh, what is it with the books? These I, guys, how much money? Has somebody added no. up how much money? I mean, I know, I think someone has has done that but now it's even more because they just keep writing books why would anybody pay Jim Comey again to write a book well I think you know there were some interesting thoughts or I think uh, theories about book producers or publishers who are basically paying these people off um, you know, think of all the books. You, who's the wretched Ukrainian ambassador? She signed like a million dollar book deal right after the impeachment that Yovanovitch, uh, yeah. Maria Yovanovitch. Yes. Masha, Masha Yovanovitch. Masha, who's not a spy. No, there's she no isn't. way. No, not nope. at all. Mm-mm. No, um, signed a million. So it's like it's part of their payoff from all 
from no, the media. It's totally, mo- it's obviously money laundering. You know, it's yeah. obviously that this is their pay, their thank you for doing that. That's what this is. Well, and that was just to tout, I, we weren't going to get into this, but tout a piece about the Brookings Institution I had up this week about where a lot of their funding is coming from, not just from Qatar, uh, you know, which coincidentally sends billions of dollars to terrorist groups in the Middle East who want to kill Americans. But also they take a lot of grant money, and I'm using air quotes now too, grant money from anti-Trump foundations, political activists, um, as kind of a laundering operation of sorts, they're a nonprofit. Um, but they, of course, not only were involved in the steel operation in 2016, but they were kind of the key repository for collusion propaganda uh, for the past three years. So anyway, there's a lot of money laundering going on. But you're right. Who would pay Jim Comey? You know, I can only hope that the day his book comes out, he is goes to jail. But that's a dream. Well, you know, it's funny you mention that because, you know, um, there are some politicos that might be implicated in Durham's report namely one Susan Rice that has vice presidential aspirations. Um, and she's a prolific unmasker mm-hmm. um, uh, among other things. So that would be kind of interesting. I don't think Biden will pick her because first of all, she's not a politician. And generally speaking, you want to pick someone from a state that you need to win that will help you. And, you know, she's not an elected official. She doesn't bring a lot of electoral votes with her. Um, and Biden has got Delaware. I mean, not that it matters because he's been vice president, but even so, I mean, Susan Rice is, you know, working the poll of the uh, cable news. She is. She definitely she's, is. She's shaking her moneymaker <laughs> on CNN and MSNBC trying to get that job. <clears throat> and maybe it's to protect her from prison time. <laughs> you know, I don't know. But there is going to be a lot of fallout from whatever Durham finds, these different investigations. The problem is that unless we, unless the Republicans retain control of the White House and probably get control of the House and keep the Senate, this is all going to go away. That's right. It will. So that's it. Um, and the day that our podcast will be up, July 31st, 2020, will mark the four-year anniversary of the official opening of Crossfire Hurricane. Oh, my gosh. It, we should – should we should we do a toast or something? Like, we should – I feel like I want to go to Costco and have them make, like, a cake, like, happy anniversary Crossfire Hurricane or something, you know? <laughs> I mean, we're not allowed to have gatherings, so it wouldn't be that fun. But if we didn't Virtual. have the virus – I would totally have a party and Virtual I, celebration. I would get a cake. We could have a Zoom party um, and we could hold up like a cake and that it says happy anniversary crossfire hurricane. Um, but yeah, it's been four really long years and no one's in, been punished. No. <laughs> Nobody, no been but punished. at least Roger Stone, at least Roger Stone was, um, you know, know they got guy. Roger Stone, yeah. although he's, um, you know, he was, his sentence was uh, commuted. He wasn't pardoned. So he's still a felon. He just doesn't have to go to prison, which apparently really pisses off the Democrats. And I was confused by that because they've literally released thousands and thousands of prisoners because of the virus. 
younger prisoners who some of whom are violent and there's thousands of them that have been released some of them reoffending and the democrats are really angry that the 67 year old dude in in not so great health wasn't put in the huskow for nine years okay but liz your typical gangbang shoot him up drug dealer in Englewood did not conspire with Julian Assange and WikiLeaks to release the stolen emails from the DNC server. Well, obviously, you mean, that's he a didn't, way. You mean he didn't claim he did? I mean, because he, it's kind of funny right. Of course, he didn't. Everybody, everybody in this town knows that everybody else is lying about who they know and how well they know them. It's the currency here. Mm -hmm. It's literally the currency. So the idea that Roger Stone would inflate his importance and influence during an election is like you're the, the, the pearl clutching. I can't stand it. (laughs) I mean, people here when in DC, the first question that anyone will ever ask you is, you know, what do you do? Because they need to, who do you know? Yeah. Well, and ergo, who do you know? Because they have to place you in the ecosystem right away. So the idea that people would lie about who they know, or even how well they know them is very, it's standard. So the idea that Stone would puff himself up to Trump, um, to make himself look like he's, uh, as we say in Yiddish, a mocker, like a big maker, a big doer. How do you spell that? It's M-A-C-H-E-R, Macher. It's like German, Yiddish German. Yeah, but that, I mean, that's what, that's what Stone was doing. And so at the same time as the same people are screaming and wailing and lamenting about all the people in prison that are catching COVID and dying, they're also like furious that this old man who's kind of like a dandy, right? You know, he's dressed as like a, you know, GQ seersucker you know just like a dandy basically um (laughs) isn't gonna go into jail for nine years and when the democrats in this hearing asked about that repeatedly mind you um Barr pointed out when he could get two words out of his mouth that the judge agreed with the change in sentence because again and this was glossed over but what Barr said about the stone sentencing was that the line prosecutors threatened to resign if they did not overcharge Roger Stone recommend like a ridiculous sentence right the normal sentence is something like three to five years they wanted him to get seven to nine years and they threatened that they would resign unless that was the recommendation that the DOJ gave to the court and um Barr did not negotiate with terrorists because that's kind of what it is when you threaten to resign and so they resubmitted they they pulled the initial recommendation resubmitted it with a more normal recommendation which is three to five years which is also ridiculous this guy's a not a first-time offender and it's a Mm -hmm. non-violent crime and the judge amy berman jackson the infamous amy berman jackson actually agreed with Barr that that was the proper time and sentence and it's like these people are so upset that Roger Stone is not going to be in prison for like 10 years because part of the narrative is, you know, Barr is just like Trump's personal henchman. You know, he's not a DOJ dude and that it's obviously, you know, he was doing Trump a favor by 
you know, Roger Stone only going to prison for three to five years instead <laughs> of seven to nine years. Um, you know, and the president just commuted his sentence. He didn't pardon him. So, um, yeah. Speaking of um, who you know and what you know and knowing where you are. Oh, yeah. Let's talk about, let's pivot to Joe Biden. I know people forget he's out there. Well, right? Joe forgets he's out there. Um, yeah, Joe. So Joe <laughs> emerged from his basement um, this week to give some weird, you know, his next What's it called? Make America better, better back. Baby got back. I think it's called baby got back. Right. No. Yeah. That actually (laughs) would be a big improvement. I might consider voting for him if that was his theme. But um, so we gave this really odd um, uh, presentation, then um, followed up by a pretend imaginary presser where the media asked really hard-hitting questions like, why are you in Delaware? That was a legitimate question. What's your favorite Um, color, Joe? Why are you so handsome? (laughs) Can you walk on water like Jesus? (laughs) You don't need to take any blue pills, do you? Yeah. Blue Um, pills. He needs to take like a racehorse dose of pills. (laughs) Yeah. He was on something though, Liz. His eyes, I took a screenshot. Um, (laughs) You know, like when you're, it was like, you know, when you go to the eye doctor and they force you to do that, like, um, they dilate your, dilate your, yes, to pretend you have cataracts, even though you're like 25. So he looked like that, but like they had given him the mega dose. So he obviously has to be on some kind of drug. My friend said it was probably like an ADHD or ADD drug to get him through this 20 minute stumble through it. Ritalin or something like. Right. That's what they think. Um, So anyway, let's play the clip of when he first got to the podium with his teleprompter and this pretend audience with fake journalists and how he introduced himself. Roll it. Good afternoon, everyone. Welcome to Kingswood Community Center. Actually, that's the one down I used to work. That's a joke. You know where? Yeah, that's super um, confidence inspiring. Har, har, har. What a great joke. But he didn't even say it. It wasn't even a whole sentence. He's like, that's the one I used to work. Like, where's the verb? Like, or whatever. Like, that isn't a complete sentence. There, this, this, yeah. I mean, people have have asked me, do you think there's going to be a debate? And on the one hand, I don't know how you can get out of doing a debate and still look like you're not hiding something. But at the same time, so I'm like, there has to be a debate. But at the same time, how can they let him debate? You know, I, I, well, that's part of what they're going to try to, so this is again, the political advantage of coronavirus. So not only does Biden get to hide in his basement, stay away from voters and journalists, do this whole shtick where he pretends he's a candidate, but he's really not. The next step is, well, we can't debate. Now, Notre Dame was supposed to host the first debate. They bailed for whatever reason. Um, and now it's somewhere else. I can't, is it? 
not Minnesota, somewhere. Yeah, yeah. It was. I think it maybe have moved to Ohio or something. It's, but it. You know what? If they're worried about the virus, they don't have to do it before an audience. It can just be those two. Got you know what I mean? They can put them in a hyperbaric chamber or whatever, like each of them, if they're so nervous about the germs, you know, there's no reason that there can't be a debate, even if there's no audience, you know, there's no, I don't know what they're going to come up with that is supposed to excuse that there's going to be a debate. Maybe they'll just say one debate instead of three. I don't know, but I don't see how they can let this guy like on an open mic unscripted. There's just no way. There's no way. And I mean, this is what the Biden campaign, the Democrats are the most fearful of is the debate. This is what, obviously, if you're Donald Trump and his team, you are should be fixated on every single day about the debate, how they're trying to get out of it. Now, Notre Dame probably canceled it because they don't want to deal with the uproar, the chaos, the mayhem that will take place on that campus if they're hosting the debate which I do think is part of the reason a lot of schools and colleges are shutting down um, doing online classes because all of this is going to spill over onto campuses this fall. So I think if they can keep these kids contained, they don't have to deal with the race riots, Black Lives Matter, the political uh, upheaval on campuses or even in you know public schools, high schools. So I think that's part of the reason. But if the the Trump campaign, instead of sending tweets today like he did about delaying the election, which was funny because it gets all the right people so lathered up. I don't even care what he says. I just love watching everybody oh, follow the latest that's, swirl. That's the best part. I don't I don't take anything he says seriously like that, but I love watching the meltdown. I mean, it's fantastic. Never mind the fact that the election is already going to be technically delayed because that is the whole purpose of a mail-in election. That's what the Democrats want. Now, it was okay, too, when the Democrats postponed primaries thanks to coronavirus. There was no issue there. They delayed the primaries in, what, 15 states, I think? Yeah. <laughs> so, anyway, it was funny what Trump said state. But instead of that it would be great. They really need to just fixate, and the president does, on what this means politically for Joe Biden, what he did yesterday, which was so embarrassing, and just keep pushing him on the debates and forcing them to commit to some kind of format or dates and doing it publicly. Yeah, we'll, we'll see. I mean, whatever whatever their plan is, we can expect the media to go along with it, right? And make it look like Trump's the lunatic because he wants a debate and that Biden cares only about public safety, um, even though they could do it. So there's only two people in the room or, I mean, he's in a room with six reporters who I'm sure were fed questions to ask him um, and that's safe. So certainly there can be debate moderators and President Trump and Biden debating. So I'd be very curious to see how this is going to go because I just cannot imagine how they're going to pull this off. But even though we've watched um, from, you know, the time Biden started the campaign when there were all those clowns and he was the last one standing, people have been watching, watch that even before the virus got serious and we all needed to wear goggles and masks and, um, <laughs> you know, like a astronaut suits to protect us. Um, <clears throat> and yet Biden still has like 
a huge chunk of people that are going to vote for him. I mean, I don't know what to say. He's, I, to me, it's so obvious that something's not right with him. Well, they don't care. And there was a poll that came out, I think, this week. You know, the people who are voting for Donald Trump are overwhelmingly voting for Trump because they want him to be president. I think it was like 20 some odd percent said they didn't want Joe Biden president. But the overwhelming majority of Democrats are voting for Joe Biden to get Donald Trump out of the office, out of the White House. So you have this flip side. They don't care. And they know that Biden is not going to be running the show. Those who really think he can somehow soothe this country that is at war, not essentially, but is, he's not going to be in charge. They don't really realize the people who will be in charge. I think this is another mistake the Trump campaign is making. They need to remind voters who is going to be in charge if Joe Biden wins. It's not Joe Biden. It's going to be Barack Obama and his people. That's why Obama stayed in Washington. He uh, did a virtual fundraiser. There's an article in the New York Times today where he's bashing Trump, re-bringing up his uh, sexual assault allegations, claiming that we are now Nazi Germany thanks to Donald Trump. No, pal, that's what you did, right? You were the one with the secret police, not Donald Trump, you, going after political foes, political persecutions. So Barack Obama is all in. He's not even hiding the fact that he's pulling all the strings. So it will be him, all of his henchmen, we'll have Eric Holder back in power, we'll have you know Elizabeth Warren at Treasury, AOC will be heading up the EPA. These are the people who will be Beto's running the Beto's gonna government. be the gun czar, right? That's Beto. right, yep. It's gonna be awesome. You put Bernie in charge of you know HUD, put all these radicals in, Obama's finally gonna get control because of course he didn't have that for most of his presidency because he had a Republican House two years in. They'll have the House, probably have the Senate. He will run the show. It will be a complete disaster. I don't think that Team Trump is making that clear enough to America. Oh, no, they they aren't. Um, and that is a really critical point. I mean, think it's just like a flashback to all the things that people rebelled against for the 2016 election to get away from. But, um, you know, well, th- that's on the Trump campaign, you know. I know we have to wrap up, but we have went uh, and every city we were again reminded of we are reminded every day of what is the country will look like run by Democrats. And that is what's happening in Portland. I know you were on the call yesterday with our new boyfriend, Chad Wolf. Oh so if you want to talk how, about that. For- how fortunate. Now, let me tell you, just I want to just tie in what you're talking about previously. If Trump really wanted to like you know, win over the female demographic, which I think, you know, he's weak. We could oh, get yeah. Chad Wolf out in front of a camera a little bit more often. Just I'd saying. be okay with that. I think that that's a, I think that's a legitimate campaign tactic. Yeah. I like him for a campaign surrogate. Absolutely. I'd be okay with that. Yes. Anyway, <laughs> so Swoon, what did uh, Chad Wolf have to say? yesterday before we wrap up it was very interesting that early um in the morning yet uh the governor this shrew who is the governor i guess air quotes of oregon because she doesn't seem like she's doing her job announced that she had finally won and gotten the feds to get out of portland and the feds are in portland guarding a federal courthouse that these barbarians are trying to blow up set on fire and also kill like 
federal agents. And the feds are in there to protect that because she and the mayor, Mayor Wheeler, um, have ordered the police not to defend it. So she was proudly taking a victory lap because she said that she had finally gotten the feds to get out, you know, as if she had, you know, some magical she as if she had had the upper hand. Right. 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 <laughs> you know, right. so then shortly when she tweeted that, then um, Chad Wolf had a, and DHS uh, clarified that and they had a press call and on the press call, he said, oh, we're not leaving. We're staying in Portland, and we were told that the police are going to protect the building, which is really what they wanted all along and really what they do in every single other city in the country, all right? There is no other city that has decided that they're just not going to protect the federal building. I almost feel like that is an act of succession, you know, to just say, like, I'm going to let the federal building burn. So anyway, so the... What the truth is and what Wolf was saying is that they're staying around and they're going to monitor and the police are going, the state police and the local police are going to provide security to the building. Um, Now, whether or not the the violence is going to stop, because remember, we are told that the only reason that they're lobbying improvised explosive devices um, and throwing gasoline and firecrackers and nail guns and Molotov cocktails at the building is because the feds are there guarding it. So once those Wait, go, I thought it was because of George Floyd. And oh, I'm sorry. I'm I meant that. Did I leave okay. that off the list? And George sorry. Floyd. Um, and so, you know, is it going to stop? Right? Is it is the is that going to stop? Because it's clear that the people are not happy with the riots. The media has totally tried to um, hide the fact that there's shit burning down all over America and they're making it out like this is Trump's fault because he's a Nazi he wants to take over Portland, Oregon. And newsflash, no, he doesn't. No, who cares about Oregon? Elect- oh, an, God. An electoral framework. Right. They're blue. They're, we've, they've been written off. That's like California. That No one's going to spend a dime campaigning in California or Oregon. There's no... He's not making a show of strength in Oregon to win over Oregon. The fact is that that building was not being protected and they were, you know, attacking, attacking it. So will it stop? You know, Julie, will the violence stop now that the feds are going to turn it over to the state police? If you think that these these rioters make a distinction between the federal police and the state and local police, I have I got a story for you (laughs) (laughs) because they don't. Right. So, yeah. I mean, we'll see. I mean, keep your eye on it. I don't I don't think it's going to stop at all. What do you think? No, no. But, you know, this is the this is the gambit. And this is in my piece up today, Friday or tomorrow, Friday, that this is the threat now. First, it was kind of the implied threat. But now the Democrats and journalists are coming out and basically saying this mayhem is going to continue. It's going to get worse. It's going to spill out into other areas unless you elect Joe Biden, because this is and that's what they're saying. This is why they're trying to turn the riots and the violence into Donald. It's Donald Trump's fault somehow. But now you have all these articles and Democrats coming out saying Chaos will continue until the bad orange man is out of the Oval Office. So well, that is going to the... work. I mean, I don't I don't think you can put the toothpaste back in the tube because the Democrats 
think that they control these people. And I don't think that they do. Oh, no, they hate. I mean, they're they look at what they did to Ted Wheeler. <laughs> Here's the schmuck, the mayor who goes into the rioters as their friend. Hey, I'm with you. And they're, and they're like throwing things on him and tear gassing yeah. the guy. Well, like, and they've done it in all these cities. Remember, they went to St. Louis. They were on their way to their mayor's house when that uh, couple, you know, took up arms to protect their house. They've gone to other Chicago. Look what they. they yeah. 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 They, they went to Mayor Leftfoot or whatever her name is. They went to her house. And then remember, they went to um, who in Minnesota. Didn't they go? Weren't they? Oh, after? they attacked what's his name? The little lead. Yeah, the little, dirty, the little uh, mayor the little of Minneapolis. Mayor, whatever, Josh, what's his name? Justin. Yeah. Jake, Jacob. Jason. No, they're all named Jacob. Never mind. Jacob. Yeah. <laughs> but the but my point is the, these these mobs are not controllable. They're not. No. Right. They're just useful right now for the Democrat power structure. But they're not going to be able to turn this off, I don't think. No, I think it's okay. just going to get worse. So on that happy note, (laughs) as usual, we end with a smile through the tears or whatever. Tears Tears of whatever. Yeah. (laughs) Well, so that's a, yeah, that's our, uh, that's our weekend review for you in like a minute, an hour. We could go on another hour, but dear God, no. I know, dear God, so depressing. But thank you so much for listening. We'll be back next Friday. See you then. Thanks for listening to Happy Hour with Julie and Liz. We'll see you next week. Bye.